If you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah, I want to give you a sermon from Jonah. I was going to preach a sermon entitled, How to Treat the Holy Spirit, this morning, but I couldn't make up my mind <laughs> how to treat the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, we're looking at Jonah, and we'll see how Jonah treats the Lord and what he learns from it. If you have a ribbon in your Bible or a, you know, some, something to mark the page, maybe you could also mark Proverbs 13, 13, and we'll make our way there a little bit later. Tucked away in the Old Testament is a story about a well-known preacher named Jonah. And I want to begin by asking you this question. What will you do when God wants you to do something that you don't want to do? What will you do when God wants you to do something you don't want to do? Now, we've all lived through this already more than once, haven't we? When you were a kid, mom or dad or teacher at school, somebody would tell you to do something you didn't want to do. And, you know, there's different ways you respond to that, isn't there? (sighs) The eye roll that causes tsunamis. The huff and the sigh that comes up from the soles of our feet. The words, you know, I don't want to, or I mean. So what are you going to do when God wants you to do something you don't want to do? If you've been a Christian, you've probably experienced this. You know God wants you to do something, but you don't want to do it. And so you respond to it. Either you do what he says or you don't do what he says. Now, the story of Jonah begins with the kingdom of Assyria. The Assyrian nation had a capital city named Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Assyria is a very bad place. That's okay. Assyria is a city, is a nation that's just barbaric beyond belief. If you ever get a chance to read the book Nine Years Amongst the Comanches, I recommend that you get it. Because what you read about in that story about a white captive who's taken captive by the Comanches from Eastern, from, well, actually from North, North Central Texas. The things that he observed the Comanches doing to each other and to other tribes and doing to the Apaches specifically, who was their, kind of their ancestral enemy, the things they did to one another are blood-curdling. You can also read Empire of the Comanche Moon, also about Quanah Parker, the same stuff. Now, Quanah Parker is a person of interest to me because we lived in Lawton, Oklahoma, and Quanah Parker, he actually lived, he was born not far from Lawton, and he died right there in Lawton, and is buried there also. Geronimo, the Apache chief, is buried there. A lot of Indians buried, uh, Indian warriors buried in Lawton. But the atrocities that the Assyrians would do to their victims, to other nations that they would attack, is just beyond belief. They would... Sometimes peel the, 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 the skin off of their captives and give them just enough care to keep them alive to prolong the agony. This is what the Assyrians would do to their enemies. In fact, if you were to read about the things that Nazi Germany did during the Holocaust to the Jewish people, it actually seems is very similar treatment, but probably worse by scale. 
Because the Assyrians, they had nothing, nothing, nothing to stop them from doing the horrible things to their enemies that they did. That's the kingdom of Assyria. And the capital from which all this flowed was Nineveh. Think of Himmler and his HQ for the Holocaust in World War II. Nineveh is the center of evil. It's the seat of power that issued wicked decree after wicked decree within that nation against their enemies. And on the throne in Nineveh is the king of Assyria who is a god himself. The Assyrians viewed their king as God, as deity himself. Therefore, he should be obeyed in every single thing. This is the Assyrian empire. This is the capital city of this wicked empire, Nineveh. But God, in his unbelievable mercy, decides to show mercy to Nineveh because God is out there, friends, and he is beholding the deeds of mankind and he is going to judge mankind, humanity, for their wickedness. And God does judge nations. He judges individuals and he judges nations. And the nation of Assyria is marked for judgment. But as you read the Bible, what you see over and over again is that before God judges people, he gives them a chance. There's a chance for mercy. There's that interesting story in the book of Joshua where the nation of Israel, they come into the land of Canaan and they capture the city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho, they were told that all of the treasures of Jericho are kind of an offering, a first fruits offering to the Lord. And so you can't keep anything from Jericho for your own. You have to give it all to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that when they took the city of Jericho, that a certain man named Achan, he saw that there was a goodly Babylonish garment, which was probably Carhartt overalls, right? And he saw a wedge of gold, and he coveted them, and he took them and hid them away in his tent. And then the Bible says they went from Jericho. Next battle they had was this place called Ai. And when the Israelites got to Ai, the Aiites whipped them up one side and down the other. I mean, they made them look silly. And they went back and they said, what is going on here? And the Lord says to Joshua, somebody in the camp has taken the Babylonian, has taken some of Jericho's treasure for themselves. And so Joshua tells the people, tomorrow we're going to figure out who did this. And over that night, it's my opinion, that if Achan had come forward in the night and confessed his sin, I think he would have found mercy. But Achan did not confess his sin. They had to find him out by casting lots. They went by a process of elimination. And they finally figured out who had done it. But then it was too late. All through the scripture, you see God pronouncing judgment upon sinfulness. But God always gives mercy. Now God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to cry against it. I want you to tell them that judgment is coming. Tell them that I have seen what they're doing and I'm going to destroy them. Now Jonah is a famous preacher. He's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. He's a prophet of God. Jonah wasn't some random person 
living his life. And God said, go to Nineveh. No, no, Jonah is in the preaching business. He's in the thus saith the Lord business. He's in the turn or burn business. And God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that I'm going to judge them if they don't turn from their wicked ways. Now, Jonah, when he hears this message, he says, I don't want to go. I don't like the Assyrians. Is there anybody, is there, are there any people groups who you don't like? Any nations whom you don't like? Now, I grew up in the, in the 80s, and I said it last Sunday, I'll say it again, it's worth repeating. The sworn enemy of America is Russia. That's what my dad always said growing up. Whenever the power would go out, he would say, the Russians just bombed something. <laughs> you guys remember when 9-11 happened? I was working in a water bottling factory, and we were running a water bottling line, and I'm working with a bunch of guys who are my age, you know, early 30s, grew up in the 80s. You know, we all saw Wolverine, right, or Red Dawn. You guys remember that? And we all, we all know Russia's bad. They're coming to get us. And when, when the bombs, when they struck down the Twin Towers and those planes hit those things, a guy came out on the water bottling line, and he said, Hey, hey, the Russians bombed Washington. Go home and get your gun. You got a gun, Terry? Yeah, I got a gun. You better stop by Walmart and buy some extra bullets because the Russians are coming. Everybody in, Ar- in Garland County, Arkansas, thought Russia had attacked because we spent our whole life waiting for, the, waiting for them. Our whole life. Russia. Now, that kind of animosity is what Jonah has towards the Assyrians because all he knows about them is the bad things they've been doing. How horrible and how wicked and how vile they are. And when God says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach mercy to them, Jonah says, I don't want to do it. They don't deserve your mercy, Lord. This is, a, this is an attitude that sometimes Christians can develop. As we get to thinking, well, you know, they don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve grace because they're too far gone. Their sins are too bad. They've just, they're, just too, they're, they're, over the, they're in the deep end and never coming out. But Jonah says, God, I don't want to go. And so Jonah, he decides to take a trip. He's going to get away from God. He's going to leave where God wants him to be. He's going to go the opposite direction. He knows what God wants him to do, and he says, I'm not going to do it. So like so many people have done since then, he knew what God wanted him to do, so he runs away from God. Now I want, you, I want to ask you this question. Do you know what God wants you to do, but you're running away from it? You're dodging God's will for your life. You know what God wants you to do, but you're trying to not do it. You're really working at it hard. And, you, and you've gotten so good at stifling the voice of God that sometimes you wonder, does God really speak anymore? Because you've been pushing it down. I can remember the definite calls of God in my life, and I'll go through them chronologically, chronologically for you just by example or for illustration, is when I was young, Gur, I heard the voice of the Lord calling me to salvation. I knew the Lord wanted to save me. I, 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 heard his, I heard and sensed his overtures of love saying to me that he loved me. 
and that Christ died for me and that he would forgive my sins if I would call upon him. And I can remember sitting in church and turning a deaf ear to that saying, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to call. I'm not going to ask the Lord to save me. I'm not going to become a Christian. I hear it. I hear it. I know I need it, but I'm not going to do it. I can remember that call. Now, the old, the old timers would call it conviction. I felt this deep conviction of sinfulness. And I think it started when I was about 11 years old. I don't have journals from those times, but about 11. I can remember sitting in church, and at the end of the service, the pastor, they had altar calls. We don't really have altar calls anymore, but we have altar calls. And I'd stand there with my hands on the pew in front of me, you know, and the pastor would be saying, won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come? Sir, won't you come? Ma'am? Won't you come? I thought, well, that's not me. He's not talking to me because I'm not a sir. I'm not a male. I'm just a kid. Teenager, won't you come? Teenager, I'm not a teenager. I'm clear. Young man, that's getting closer to me. Young man, young girl, won't you come? And eventually he would work it down to Little kid, young child, boy, girl, will you come to him? And I can remember hearing the preacher get down to that part, and I, can, I, I remember feeling the weight, the weight on my shoulders. That, yes, he is talking to me. God is talking to me. God wants me. And I can remember being a little heathen and just saying, nope. I was watching a football game yesterday. I don't watch football very often. But I'm very interested in how Deion Sanders is going to do with the Colorado Buffaloes. And yesterday, I watched a receiver running down the field, and the pass is coming, and he pushes out his hand like this, and he pushes away the, the, the defense to get some distance. He pushes him away, shoves him away. I watched a football game Thursday night. I watched Sheboygan JV play Kingsley in Kingsley. Then I watched Sheboygan play Kingsley in Sheboygan. And, you know, we need to have a moment of silence for the Sheboygan football program. <laughs> Didn't do too good. <laughs> but I saw lots of shoving away, shoving away. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Back off. And I, as a kid, I pushed the Lord away. Those calls to salvation, I pushed him away and pushed him away. Until finally... When I was 15 years old, I didn't push him away anymore. I accepted him as my Savior. I called upon him, and he saved me. Then I remember the Lord calling me to be in the ministry, calling me to preach. I don't want to do that either. I never want to do what God wants me to do. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not Mr. Goody Two-Shoes up here telling you. you <laughs> I, I understand the struggles. And like Jonah, I decided I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. And I went my own way. And like Jonah, I suffered for it. And that's what Jonah does. Jonah says, I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. Is that you? Are you, are you honestly doing what God wants you to do? Are you submitting yourself to him as your Lord? 
Are you submitting to him? Can you truly? When we talk about calling on the name of the Lord, that's a Greek word. That's, that's a, the Greek word means master. Are you calling Jesus your master, my boss, my manager, my supervisor, my king, my master? Have you submitted to your life to him? Jonah gets on the boat and gets away from God. And you can get away from God. You think. You think. But Jonah gets on the boat, and he takes off. Some scholars say that he is actually on a ship bound for Britain. He's going across the Mediterranean. He's going to go up, up through all the way to the Atlantic, going to get to England. That's where they think he was headed to. It wasn't called England back then. But as he's on this ship, the Bible says that he pays the fare. He buys a ticket. And as he's on this ship, a storm comes up. And it's not just a little, a little bitty storm. It's the mother of all storms. It's the big enchilada of storms. It's the... <laughs> it's, it's a storm that makes your liver quiver. That makes your knees melt. A storm that scares you to death. The sailors with whom he is traveling, they become afraid. They are so afraid that they begin to offer sacrifices to their gods on the ship. And he's watching this. He sees the storm. He sees the chaos. He's watching these guys worship and do sacrifices. He sees the fear in their eyes. And finally, one of them says, hey, aren't you a, aren't you a preacher? Aren't you a prophet? He says, I am a Hebrew, and I serve the living and true God. But they don't see him making any prayers. You know why he's not making any prayers? Because he's mad at his God. He doesn't want to do what his God wants him to do. He knows his God will hear his prayers. He knows his God is out there. He knows his God is real, but he ain't talking to him. Because he knows what he needs to do. He needs to submit to that God. And so, he is so stubborn that the sailors who hear this, they take note of it, and they just keep on trying to save themselves, trying to survive this storm. And then finally they decide, let's figure out who's at fault here. And they start to cast lots. Now, you may think of casting lots as drawing straws, right? Drawing straws. And if you get the short straw, what does that mean? You're the guy, right? They draw straws, they cast lots, and they say, Jonah, the universe is telling us (laughs) that you're the guy. And Jonah says, I am the guy. I'm not doing what my God wants me to do. And you know what he does? Does he fall on his knees and cry, holy, holy, holy? Does he fall on his knees and say, Lord, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and do what you want me to do. This is scaring the... This is scaring me a lot, and and I'm just going to do what you want me to do. Is that what he does? No. He says, why don't you guys just throw me in the sea? He'd rather die than do God's will for his life. He'd rather die than do God's will for his life. I felt this very same way. Because in the summer of 1996, I was out with this girl, and... We were talking, and I was, 
I, was, I knew God called me to preach, and it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I said to her, I said, this is a girl, she's not a Christian. She didn't care two licks about Jesus or the church. That's why I was dating her. And I looked her in the eyeball, and I said, if you had a choice between serving God or dying, what would you do? You know what that girl said to me? Well, I don't want to die. She said, I don't want to die. Out of, out of a lost person's mouth, she said, I think you'd be better off just to do what God wanted you to do. And I looked at her and I said, I think you're right. Dropped her off, went home. And on that Wednesday night following, I surrendered my life to be a preacher. But Jonah, <laughs> he's got a real case of the stubborns, just like some of you guys got. You're so incredibly stubborn that you're, you're just like Jonah. God's got you. You're in the storm. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. And you need to submit to God with your life. Or something worse is going to happen to you. Jonah gets, Jonah, throws, Jonah gets thrown in the sea. And the Bible tells us the most fantastic thing. That in the water waiting for him is a big fish. And in one gulp, he's swallowed. Now, we, now, I want you to think about what it's like to be swallowed by a fish. I never have been. But it must be quite an experience. Have you ever been swimming and thought you felt some animal whack your leg? I've been in the Arkansas River, not Arkansas River, but in the Saline River in Benton, Arkansas, and they have alligator gar and cotton mouths and moccasins. <laughs> they got all kinds of stuff in that river. And I remember being in that river. And it's kind of greenish, you know, and mossy and feeling like something alive was rubbing on my leg. You know, and it scares you. So Jonah gets swallowed by this whale, by this fish. What kind of whale, what kind of fish, nobody knows. But the Bible says God prepared this fish. Some theologians say it was a special creation just for this purpose. Which swallowed. Think about what it's like to be inside. I used to think that a stomach was like an empty circle, like a bowl in your, inside of you. But it's not, is it? It's, it's flat. And when your food goes in there, it's, it's touching all sides. It's getting churned around. There's acids in there. There's a lot of, you ever had us take a stethoscope and listen to your stomach? That's because stuff is happening in there. Think about if you were down in there, getting wallered around. If this fish was a special creation from God, it probably had a clean stomach. But if it was not a special creation from God, if it was just your regular, average, run-of-the-mill, giant fish, it probably had some stuff in there. Stuff in various levels of decay and rot. And there is Jonah in the belly of this whale. And the Bible tells us he's there for three days and three nights. Friends, if I feel a whale sucking me down, if a fish is swallowing me, 
You know how long it's going to take me to say, Lord, I'll do it? Well, I, I like to think I'd be that way. But I would probably go as long as I could. Because we get so stubborn with God. We get so stubborn with God. We get so stiff-necked. And the Bible says in Proverbs 29 that he, that, be, that he who is often reproved, they will harden their neck. And if you do harden your neck, your neck will be broken and that without remedy. Without remedy. When me and my brother, were, when I was a teenager, I had a bad car wreck. I had my brother with me. And uh, the doctor said, my brother broke his leg, broke his femur right here. And the doctor told my brother, if you had just relaxed, you wouldn't have got hurt so bad. <laughs> so when you see a car coming or a tree coming, <laughs> just go limp. <laughs> my brother said, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you go limp? Stiffened up. Stiffening up against the Lord. Stiffening up. So stiff you don't want to go to church. Stiffened up. So stiff you won't open your Bible. You're, I don't want to hear what God has to get. Christians get so bent out of shape with God sometimes because he wants them to do something. And they feel like if I do what God wants me to do, it's going to make me miserable. And I can say this. It doesn't matter who you serve, God or the devil, both of them have equal parts misery sometimes. But the joy and the enabling that comes from serving God, I can testify from experience, is pretty great. I can tell you this, it's better to serve the Lord than to not serve the Lord. If you make Jesus Lord and Master of your life and live for Him, your life's going to have Hiccups, speed bumps, and problems, but they're not going to be the problems that other people have. It's better to serve the Lord. Jonah is in this well for three days and three nights. Some theologians theorize that he actually dies in the whale's belly. And then when he says, I cried out from the heart of the earth, he's actually crying out, from Sheol, from the spiritual grave, the place of departed spirits. And I, don't, I don't know if he died or not. But he's down there three days. And the Bible says in chapter 2 that finally he prays. One, chapter 1 verse 17 says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. And when he makes this prayer, finally at the end of the prayer, here's what he says. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, why did Jonah get in this situation? Because he didn't want to do what God said. God said, go to Nineveh. He says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Because he doesn't like the Ninevites. He doesn't care for them. And what Jonah realizes is that God has the right to save whoever he wants to save. Think of the person you loathe the most. Hopefully they're not anywhere near this building right now. But think of the person you loathe the most. The person who you would like to see go to hell. Now, people tell me sometimes, like, yeah, I wouldn't wish hell on anybody. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just too, I'm just too, I'm just too wicked. Because I have. 
Because there are some people I really don't care for because they've done me very badly or done somebody in my family very badly. One of my friends, a preacher, can't trust preachers. He says, if I knew I had a week to live, I got a list of people I would take out. I said, bro, can we compare lists? <laughs> I mean, we can be really bad, can't we? Really bad. Jonah realizes that his whole life belongs to God. And he should just go with God and do what God wants him to do because salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's salvation that he receives when he gets out of this whale and whoever else God wants to save belongs to him. If God wants to be merciful to these pagan, heathen, barbarian Assyrians, then God has the right because all souls belong to him. Jonah learns a lesson. The lesson he learns here is it's better to obey God than to disobey God. And he makes a vow. I will, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you that what I have vowed, I will pay. Now, we don't have the, the text of that vow. We don't know what the vow was. But I think the vow was, Lord, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll do what you want me to do. And some of you are in that exact situation right now. You need to submit to God. You need to just bow the knee and say, Lord, you are my master. You are my king. And submit yourself to him. Just submit yourself to him. And as long as you keep on not submitting yourself to him, you're going to be in this whoosh, 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 whoosh storm. God's going to get you to change your mind one way or another. And it's better just to obey than to disobey. Jonah gets released from the whale. He goes and goes, does what God wants to do. And the funniest thing to me about the story of Jonah is his attitude with which he does it. He goes to Nineveh. It's such a big city. He walks three days' journey into the city. And then he gives this magnificent speech. The greatest sermon in the Bible, probably. Let's see if I can find it. Chapter 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was a big city. Skip down to the last part of verse 3. Verse 4. And he called out, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he said. He didn't testify of the goodness of God. <laughs> he didn't say God's a God of mercy and grace. He said, 40 days and you're toast. And, you know, because sometimes our service for the Lord is, is not really with the best attitude, is it? Right? Sometimes our attitude is not that great. But the Lord doesn't need us to have a perfect attitude. He'll use you with your stinky attitude. He'll use you. And I'm sure sometimes here at the church, we have lots of things we're doing at the church right now. We have lots of things we're doing. Faith Kids starts Wednesday night. Faith Teen starts Wednesday night. 
We're having these extra uh, classes to learn stuff about the Bible. We got nativity coming up. And just, there's tons of things for us to do. There's so many things for us to get involved in that our attitudes could get kind of yucky about it. You know what? We don't care if you got a good attitude. We just need your warm body. <laughs> we need all of you. <laughs> the Lord works through Jonah. He says, here's his sermon. It's very short, very brief, and the Lord delivers this, the city. Look, look at their response to it. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the kings and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to who? God. This is the, the word here. Is Elohim, it's not God, not one of their gods. It's not one of their gods' name. Call out to God. Jonah's, I mean, he doesn't just get the fringe people of the city. He gets the, 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 top, of the top. He gets the king. The king says, worship this God. Turn to this God. And the result of Jonah's submission to God is the souls of the Ninevites, at least in that time, are saved. I wonder how many people around you would be saved, would come to faith, would have their lives changed if you would just submit to the Lord. Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh. This revival doesn't take place. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Revival takes place. People are saved. Submit yourself to the Lord. Now, so what? Why are you wasting my time with this story, Terry? Because some of you are like Jonah. You know what God wants from you, but you don't want to obey him. And you've been in this situation for a while, and maybe, maybe you're in that part of the cruise where the weather's been great. Nothing really, nothing's really been happening to me. I'm, not really ha- I'm saying no to God, but I'm not suffering for it. I'm saying no to God, and I, I don't, there's no storm happening. My life is just going great. I got a good job. I got my health. I got plenty of dough. I got everything seems to be going great for me. It looks like God doesn't care if I obey him or not. Well... The Lord is awful long-suffering and patient with us. Awful long-suffering and patient with us. And I'll say this to you, that probably that's not going to last forever because he's preparing a storm. He's preparing a fish because he's going to change your mind. He's going to change your mind. If you know what God wants you to do, surrender and do it now before you got to get in the whale's belly. Surrender now while you can. Before you, wouldn't you like to skip Whale University? <laughs> I, 
I wish I could go back and undo a lot of things that I did in my disobedience to God. I wish I could go back to being 16 years old and feeling those first callings of the Lord upon my life to be a preacher. I wish that I had just said, you know what? Okay, Lord, I'll be a preacher when I was 16. The whole trajectory of the next 10 years of my life would be different. But because I decided to go to whale you and letter in underwater breathing, <laughs> the trajectory of my life was much different. Lots of unnecessary difficulties and sorrows and baggage come out of that. Now, Jonah didn't have to go through any of that. At any time, he could have surrendered, but he didn't. When they figured out that he was the problem, if he needed confirmation that he was doing the wrong thing, when all the sailors are going, you're the guy. (laughs) If he needed external confirmation, there it was. There it was. He could have surrendered, but he didn't. When they were throwing stuff overboard, he didn't say, you know what, guys? I'm the problem here. I got to go talk to God. He didn't do it. When he felt the giant tongue on his legs, he didn't do it. When he finally submitted to God, God closed him off from every choice except obedience or death. Now, my friends, you don't have to, you, it doesn't have to go that far. It doesn't have to go that far. Jonah's rebellion just made his life tougher because he didn't just do what God wanted him to do. What about you? Have you surrendered your life to God? Now, maybe like me, sometimes you surrendered your life to God and then you kind of reneged on your decision. Maybe you need to rededicate yourself to God. Because the Lord gives us lots of chances. He's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. How long is it going to take before you do surrender to God? If you, if you are one of God's children, if you are a Christian, if you've been born again, God is going to make you into the image of Christ. You're going to be transformed. Either the easy way, by your humble obedience, or he'll break you down and make you all over brand new how he wants you. That's the two ways it works, all right? You say, well, I've been, you may say, well, I've been in Whale University for so long, and I smell like fish so bad, there's no way God could ever use me. Well, God is really good at cleaning people up. In the book of Job, at the end of the book, the Bible says Job gets three daughters. I can't remember the names of two of them, but one of them is Karen Hapcook. That's what it says in the authorized version. I don't know what it says in ESV, NIV, NAS. Karen Hapcook. But the name means, her name means horn of paint or cosmetic. Now, does anybody here use cosmetics? Of course not. When I was a kid, and I remember, you guys remember, people from my era may remember, remember Oxy-10? The zit killer. I was at the store one time buying myself a little bottle of Oxy-10, and I noticed they had Oxy-10 
tinted. Tinted. So it had a little beige color in it. And I remember as a teenage boy looking in the mirror and seeing all those little spots on my face and going, oh, man, I look so bad. And I thought, I wish I could just cover them up. And I saw Oxy 10 tinted, and I remember going to the bathroom and going, oh, it's much dimmer than it was. You know, I can see, I was, so there I am in the bathroom rubbing it on, you know, and thought, well, if a little helps, a lot will really help. No. <laughs> I'm out of the bathroom. <laughs> My, my dad, <laughs> he said, you been in your mom's makeup? <laughs> no, I ain't been in the makeup. I've been putting medicine on my face, you know. Cosmetic covers up stuff. Just cosmetic damage is going to fix it up, right? Make it look better. Job's third daughter is named Karen Hapkuk, Horn of Paint, because if you, met, if you know the story of Job, if you ran into Job after he'd gone through that trial, you would never know he'd ever had a trial. There are people in this room, and your lives, your past, is filled with all kinds of unpleasantness, pockmarks, bad choices and decisions, but nobody knows about it because, but God and you because the Lord is able to cover over all that stuff. And it's not even obvious that your past exists. So God can take a chewed up, runaway prophet like Jonah. He can take him out of the whale, put him in the waters of his forgiveness, cleanse away his unrighteousness by the blood of Christ, and nobody has any idea. Nobody has any idea because God uses chewed up people. Look through the Bible. You'll see that every person that God uses has been through this kind of stuff, this experience with God. You're not too chewed up for God to use. Surrender your whole life to God today. Now, here's my parting text. Proverbs 13, 13. Listen to the reading. Proverbs 13, 13. Easy to remember. This is from the English Standard Version. Whoever despises the word of God brings destruction on himself. God's word, obey God's word, and avoid this. If you despise God's word, you're inviting hardship. But he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. You see the contrast? Despise God's word and suffer. Revere and respect God's word and be rewarded. These are our choices. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I have lived with you now for 30 years with you as my Savior, with you as my Lord. And I know that you are merciful and gracious. 
And I know that what the Bible says in Micah is true, that you delight to show mercy. And Lord, I pray for these, my friends and loved ones here, that they would submit themselves to you. That they would now in these moments feel your presence and they would submit themselves to you and say, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do with my life. I'll live for you. I'll serve you. I'll be what you want me to be. I pray, Lord, you'd help them, Father, to do that. The devil, the devil comes around. He whispers in her ear and says, God's not going to fool with you. God doesn't want anything to do with you. The church doesn't want anything to do with you. If people knew what you've been up to, Lord, you, you know. Father, you know how Satan works. You know how our flesh works. And Father, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to my friends here today and help them. Help them to see your mercy. Help them to see that you're right there waiting with arms outstretched, with a smiling face to receive them as they turn from their disobedience. And Lord, I pray for those who are on the right path. Lord, help them to, to stay on it. Help them to walk that path with humility. I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen.